Thank you for the time of worship that we have had. Lord, just to be able to sing your praises. It's an honor and it's a privilege to be able to worship you that way. God, and I can sense that your spirit is moving in this place, that, that people are, are sensitive to the fact that you are here. Lord, well, I pray that right now as we open your word, God, we would see that indeed you are here, but you are also in your word. And even when we open your word at home, Lord Jesus, you are there. God, that you are constantly with us and you are constantly reminding us of the truth of your word. So I pray that you would use this time now, God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would use your word to speak to people's lives, speak truth into them, teach them. Lord, help restore them, help encourage them and help strengthen them. God, and if, if necessary, help convict them. Lord Jesus, do something great through your word. We trust that you're going to do that. All our faith is in you and you alone. It's not in any ability that I have, but it is solely, God, in what you, the power of your word does in and through your Holy Spirit. We trust that. So God, do a great work right now in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. You can be seated. So... Some of you have been waiting on this moment for a long time. We are finally wrapping up Joseph this week, the story of Joseph. We started in Genesis chapter 37, and that was like 60 months ago or something, right? That's how long ago it was when we started. Um, but we've been going week by week through each chapter, looking at what God has to say to us through Joseph's life. And, and we saw an extreme makeover happen in Joseph's family, specifically his daddy's family, Jacob, right? And we, we've been watching this thing happen, and it's, it's been like a, a soap opera a little bit, right? Everybody's like, week to week, they can't wait to come back next week and see what happens. Am I right? It's been pretty cool. Uh, instead of the young and the restless, we, we should have called it the youngest is the bestest or something. I don't know. I'm glad y'all laughed at that. I was worried that nobody would laugh at that. I was like the youngest and the bestest. Are they even going to get it? I don't know. Maybe they will. Anyway, thank you for laughing. I appreciate the courtesy laugh anyway. Um, so we, uh, <laughs> we've been talking about Jacob and his family. And hopefully what has happened, I had people tell me. They said, Kenny, you know what's happened? Like we, we started this series about Joseph when we thought it was about him having a, a cool hippie coat and stuff. And like I'd heard that story before, but we're actually learning stuff. <laughs> like, like we come out on Sunday morning, we've learned some stuff about God's Word that uh, we'd heard it before maybe, but we, we didn't really learn it before. So I, I, I am so tickled to death, man. If we were to accomplish one thing in Simple Church, and that is to teach people's God's, God's Word in such a way that they can grasp it, they can hold on to it, and they're like, man, I, I understand it. And some people it's happened for the very first time ever. So I, I'm tickled to death at the fact that that has happened. And that's the reason God has impressed upon my heart that we should call it Simple Church because, you know, when Jesus spoke to his disciples, when he spoke to people in crowds, he would speak in simple terms that people could understand so they would have something that they could walk away with. They could, I mean, he would speak to, like, farmers and talk to them about sowing seed, and they're like, okay, now that I can understand, you know? Uh, he didn't really talk above their heads so much. He just talked to them on their level. And I hope and I pray that we do that here at Simple Church. I hope and I pray that you walk away and you have a deeper understanding of who God is and how he's revealed himself in his word. And I just pray that that is what is happening in this place. So there's some of you like, okay, like I got this. So Jacob, his name became Israel. That's back in Genesis chapter 35. And then like so this is Jacob's house, this is Israel's house, and I've heard of the 12 tribes of Israel, but I don't really know where that came from, so let's put the picture up on the screen. You may have seen a picture like this, you know, in Bible school or something like that. Man, I wish it was a little bit clearer, but that's okay. Uh, you can see some of the names here. You see names like Reuben and Simeon 
And, and you see like Manessa. Uh, and, and you see like, I was looking to see if I, I saw another one in here. Ephraim. Ephraim and Manasseh. And you see Judah. Like the, these are territories that, that were where these, these tribes ended up settling. So what happens is, if you remember that, that Jacob and his family, they go back to Egypt because there's no food where they're living in, in the land of Canaan. There's no food there. So because there's a famine that has come upon the land, which is just a fancy word for saying there's no food. So they come back to Egypt where there's food, and, and, and Joseph is actually t- ends up taking care of them. Now, Joseph came to power because he got sold into slavery by his brothers who hated him. God had, had like used Joseph in so many different ways from, from point A to point Z, uh, for him to actually be in the place that he's at, in a place of power as the prime minister of Egypt, uh, what has happened is his brothers tried to sell him into slavery. He gets taken by the Egyptians. He gets taken down into Egypt. And one thing leads to another after he suffers greatly as a result of nothing that's his own fault. He suffers for a long time, and he actually becomes a prime minister of Egypt. And it wasn't easy getting there for him. But God uses his position as the prime minister of Egypt to rescue his brothers. His brothers come down to Egypt. They, they, they're hanging out there, and they're taken care of. And not only do they get taken care of, they get taken care of very well. They get the best land. The land of Goshen is the place where they get to settle. Well, eventually what happens, some 400 years later, these 12 guys that have their families, right, these, these 12 families, they end up over four, the next 400 years becoming nations. These nations end up going back to the land where they originally came from, and they take it over, and they set up where they're going to live in these different sections. Now, there's one, one group you may see that's kind of missing from this. It's the Levites, right? Levi. Where's Levi's family at? Well, we read last week that what happened was when Jacob was telling his sons what was going to happen to them, he said, Levi, because of some stuff that you've done, you're going to be scattered out, and you're not really going to have a designated place where you're going to reside. And... and we see that uh, that's what came to fruition here, right? This is what God did. I mean, Jacob was telling about what was going to happen. Some, some of you have never actually put all this together in your mind and been like, okay, these 12 guys in, in all their messed up ways, and they become a nation, and they go back, and, and they settle in these tribes, and like, that's how that happened. Man, I, I hope and I pray that you have gotten something out of this. And when you see a map like this, or you hear somebody talking about the 12 tribes of Israel now, you're like, okay, I kind of get where that comes from. I remember about Jacob and his messed up family. I remember that. And I remember the extreme makeover they went through when Joseph was in slavery. I remember what happened there. Joseph, when he, and this is just a recap a little bit, when his brothers finally came back to him, He'd miss them, and he, he, would, he would cry a lot as a result of the fact that he was seeing. But he didn't reveal to them who he was, and he put them through some tests to see if they were truly repentant, it, see if they were or truly changed people, or if they were the same guys that sold him into slavery, the same guys that wanted to kill him. And what we saw is that we saw these people, we saw these men repent, and we saw them turn towards God and be the people that God had originally created them to be. You see... I want you to understand something. If you take something away from today, this this is what I want you to understand. There's this big word that you may have heard in church before. It's called God's providence or God's providential will, right? So what what does that mean? I've heard God's providence before. Can you explain that? What does that really mean? And that just means at the end of the day, when, when everything is said and done, God's will still stands. What he wanted to happen is still what happens. 
Now, even some people's messed up evil motives, God uses that and and orchestrates things through that so that God's will is accomplished at the end of the day. And it was God's will that these tribes settle here, that that through Jacob's messed up family, that, that, that these would actually become a nation and become the nation of Israel. That's God's providential will. Now, now they did some messed up stuff. God did not orchestrate for Joseph to be sold into slavery. God didn't necessarily want that to happen, but what happened was God used that so that, so that the nation of Israel could be created and these tribes could settle in these lands just like God had planned. So what does that say to us? As, as followers of Jesus Christ, as people that are searching and finding God and understanding more about God, what does that say to us? It says that even though there's a lot of bad stuff that happens in our lives sometimes, some stuff we didn't plan on, some evil people coming against us, us enduring some persecution, us enduring maybe health issues or trials as a result of you know, cancer or whatever, that, that, that when you stick with God, when you stay close to God, his providential will is accomplished in your life by him just, just allowing him to, to, to pour into you and you trust in him and, and he says, you just remain mine and I'll remain your God. And at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, what I had planned for your life, that is what's going to happen. And I even said this last week. I said, sometimes when we, when we say that, sometimes it's not just about our lives. Sometimes it extends well beyond our generation. Sometimes it's two, three, four generations down the road. We always think when God calls us, something to, in our, calls us to something in our life that, that it's supposed to happen within 80 years. And, man, he better do something great right now. I've only got so many years left, man. And what we saw last week when Jacob was talking about his sons and what would be accomplished through them, Jacob had this realization that all that God was trying to do may not be accomplished in Jacob's lifetime, that it may take a while. Same thing goes for our lives. It doesn't necessarily mean that when you get to the end of the day, when you, when you close your eyes for the last time, that you'll be able to see all this great and glorious stuff that has happened. It may be your children... It may be your grandchildren. It may be your great-grandchildren. But here's the key. Here's the key to it all. It's just trusting God that that his providential will will be accomplished in our lives and and in the lives of the children that will come after us. But we selfishly go, well, I want to see it, man. Let me see it. I want to see what's going to happen. I need to be able to see it. Well, you think about the promise of heaven. You think about the promise of eternity. God's perspective is an eternal perspective. Ours is so limited because we look at some 80-some-odd years of our life and say, man, that's when it's going to be accomplished. But then we put our faith and our hope in something that is beyond this life to an eternity and say, well, that's where my hope lies. That's where I'm going to put my trust. So that's the reason I'm following God while I'm in this life. That's why I'm trusting in Jesus while I follow this life. It's because my hope is in something I can't see right now. My hope is in something that is beyond myself. So let's look for just a minute at God's word. Let's see how Joseph is remaining faithful to God and how God is remaining faithful to Joseph. Jacob has just died when we get to this particular passage in chapter 50. It says, Joseph threw himself on his father and wept over him and kissed him. We, we saw last week how, how Jacob had just... He'd finished charging his sons, is what it says in chapter 30, or verse 33 of 49. It says, he drew his feet in the bed, breathed his last, and joined his ancestors in death. 
Here we see Joseph threw himself on his father, wept over him and kissed him. Man, death is a real thing. And death hurts. And I don't care if you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. Now, we have a hope that is, it is beyond ourselves, and a hope when our loved ones are, are, are godly people and they follow Jesus. I mean, we have a, a hope that exists beyond us, and that is true, but that doesn't mean that it hurts any less. Sometimes it just hurts deeply, and we, we're supposed to grieve, and we're supposed to have sorrow. And, and, man, if you look at what they did in the Old Testament when it came to, to grieving, man, they took a while. It took a while. They didn't rush through the grieving process. It didn't happen in five days, and then they were done. Man, it took a while. Because I think there's an understanding there that it just takes a while. When, when my daughter passed away, you know, she was eight years old. She passed away. And uh, there are some days, you know, that was, that was back in 2007. There's some days, and it still feels like it was yesterday, to be honest with you. There's some days, and it feels like it just happened yesterday that she took her last breath while I was sitting in the hospital room with her. And yeah, I, I did this. I wept over her. I kissed her. I remember. I remember sitting there in the hospital room when she breathed her last breath. I remember the doctor looking at us, and they didn't understand why we were praying and thanking God for her life. I remember that. They really looked at us pretty weird. Kasha asked me to pray before she prayed her last breath or breathed her last breath, and then Kasha asked me to pray immediately after she had breathed her last breath. And I, I can remember praising Jesus and, and talking about his goodness and his sovereignty and the fact that he was in control and the fact that he loved her way before I ever did and, and he knew her long before I ever did, you know? But just because all that happened doesn't mean that it's, it's still not, it's not hard today, because it is. If I'm just honest with you, that's one of the things we do here. I'm just honest with you. It still hurts. And some days it hurts like it was yesterday. It says, Joseph threw himself on his father and wept over him and kissed him. When Joseph told the physicians who served, them, served him to embalm his father's body, so Jacob was embalmed, the embalmment process took the usual 40 days. Now, this is going to be kind of interesting in just a second. And Egyptians mourned his death for 70 days. And the Egyptians mourned his death for 70 days. And the Egyptians mourned his death for 70 days. The Egyptians took the normal amount of time to prep his body to embalm him. And then the Egyptians are mourning. Now, Egyptians don't like shepherds, right? We learned that several chapters back. We heard that the shepherds aren't necessarily liked by Egyptians. Egyptians don't really like them so much. Well, these shepherds must be different because they're not only just taking care of his body because he's Joseph's dad, they're actually mourning his death. You see, this is what happens when God works. Hearts begin to change. People's perspective changes as a result of what God's doing. Same thing happens in this room. You come in here with this you know, I'm just going to see this cool new church in town and everybody's talking about it or whatever. And then you get in here and God uses your, your just curiosity motives and he starts to convict your heart of some stuff and he starts to reveal some stuff to you and change your life as a result of some things that you have heard through God's word. God uses our messed up motives all the time, right? Some people just come in because they're curious. 
And, and, and then God starts to work in their life, and they start to cry for the first time in a long time. And they're like, I don't know if I'm all about this. And it freaks them out a little bit, to be perfectly honest. It worries them because God starts to reveal some stuff to them that they don't really want to deal with a whole lot. And then, and then one thing leads to another, and they're starting to feel conviction. And then they don't come back next Sunday because it, it worries them. Some people do that. They come every single week, and they, it worries them. And sometimes they don't come on Sunday because I might feel that conviction again, or God might start to do something in my life again, and I might feel like I'm supposed to go to Africa, or I might feel like I'm supposed to go and minister to a homeless person or any number of things, and it scares them to death. It scares them to death. The heart change happens through God, and that's just the way it is. It, <laughs> God starts to convict you if, if you're not a Christ follower that you need to be one, that you, you need to accept the love of Jesus Christ, you need to surrender wholly to him, and it freaks some people out, and they don't do it. They just don't. They, they, they don't know what to do with that emotion or that feeling, and they, all, they can, all they know to do, literally, all they know to do is to say no. They just, they just say no. Well, when you say yes, let me, let me tell you something. When you say yes, everything changes about your life. The way you think, the way you talk, the way you act, everything changes when you say yes. So if, if change is fearful to you, you're going to be scared. You're going to be scared of saying yes to Jesus. And that's going to be natural. But let me tell you, speaking some, as somebody from the other side, somebody said yes to Jesus, as much as God continues to do through my life and continues to correct me and instruct me and wreck my life over, over people that are hurting, it's absolutely worth it. It's absolutely worth it to say yes to Jesus. I, I, it's not just about heaven. It's really not. I want to spend eternity with Jesus, right? I really do. I want to be in heaven with Jesus. But it really is me wanting to be with Jesus right now. I just, I just want to be with him right now. And I want his Holy Spirit to indwell inside of me so I can be with him right now. That's the reason I say yes to Jesus. Because I want eternity to start right now in my heart. I want eternity to start in my heart right now. And I, I, it's not just about being saved and getting to spend eternity with him. It's just about being with Jesus. It's just about being with Jesus. When the period of mourning was over, Joseph approached Pharaoh's advisors. Please do me this favor and speak to Pharaoh on my behalf. Tell him that my father made me swear an oath. He said, listen to me. I'm about to die. Take my body back to the land of Canaan and bury me in the tomb I have prepared for myself. So please allow me to go and bury my father. After his burial, I'll return without delay. Pharaoh agreed to Joseph's request. Go and bury your father as he made you promise, he said. So Joseph went up to bury his father. He was accompanied by all of Pharaoh's officials, all the senior members of Pharaoh's household, and all the senior officers in Egypt. Man, you could glance right over that and not even realize these are people who didn't even like shepherds. And here's the, the chief shepherd has just died. And God has, has so changed Pharaoh's heart through all of this that he's like, all my officials go. Everybody. We all, we all going to go. Y'all go. Go. Take everybody. I, I, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. He sends everybody. He said, but they left their little children and flocks and herds in the land of Goshen. A great number of chariots and charioteers accompanied Joseph. He's sending not just officials, he's sending armies and stuff. He, he's like sending everybody. I mean, can you imagine? He left himself vulnerable a little bit, didn't he? Pharaoh 
hey, everybody's out of town. If something happens, who's going to run things? Pharaoh's still there. But, man, all the officials and all the charioteers and chariots are gone. How are we going to even defend ourselves? This is how big of a deal it was. I want you to, to grasp the fact that these are people that, that hated shepherds, and now the chief shepherd has died, and they're all going to mourn the loss of Jacob. It sounds like, it sounds like this transformation that happened in Jacob's family started impacting other people around them. Don't you think? Isn't that what happens in our lives? When God starts to change our lives and change our families and wreck us all and we're, we're all impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ, isn't that what happens? It starts to have an impact on the people around us, doesn't it? It starts to, people's like, they start looking at us going, man, something's different about them. It's really weird seeing these people that used to be this way acting this way now. I thought that I used to hate those people. It turns out I really like them. Right? Now, admittedly, some people won't like the change that happens in you. When you follow Jesus, they're, they're, and when you really sacrificially give your life to Jesus, there are going to be some people that really shun you because of that. There are going to be some people that really say, yeah, I don't know about all that, man. I think you may be doing something wrong. And, and you, know what you, you know what your response to that should be, right? When people say, well, I think you're doing something wrong here. <laughs> Our website, Simply About Jesus. Just tell them that. It's simply about Jesus. Uh, it, somebody, I was talking to, to a guy down at the youth camp, and I, was, I said, man, people want to call us non-denominational. I said, I don't really want to be called that. I don't want to be called non-denominational. I said, I don't really agree with denominations. I think it's a way of dividing people up. And Jesus said, you know, we're not supposed to be divided. We're supposed to come together. We're supposed to be unified as followers of, of Jesus Christ. That's the way we're supposed to be. And Paul even said it, man, you're not supposed to say, I follow Peter or Paul or Apollos. I don't follow any. I follow Jesus. So that's, that's what I want us to be, just Jesus followers. So I was talking to this dude who ran the camp down there, and he said, oh, you're not non-denominational. I said, well, that's a relief. I've been trying to tell people that. I, I don't know what we are, but we're not non-denominational. He said, you're interdenominational. I said, what? He said, yeah, you're interdenominational. You don't care what denomination they came from. They're all welcome at your church. And I was like, yes! Amen. We're interdenominational. We're not non-denominational. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, that deserves applause. I wish I had said it. Then you could have been applauding for something I said, but I didn't say it. We're not. So somebody, I, I had to share that with you because I want you to tell people that. They say, they say is simple church non-denomination? You go, no, uh-uh. First of all, it's simply about Jesus. And second of all, it's interdenominational. We don't care what denomination you come from. You're welcome here. If you worship Jesus, come here. If you really like to hear what God's word says, come here. Because we're going to be about Jesus and his word. I know it's simple. I got it. It's what God did, not what I did. He just said, it's going to be simple. You're going to tell them what the word says. And you're going to tell them it's all about Jesus. I said, oh. I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> he says, no, you're not. Don't worry, you're not. Okay. Sorry. I wish I... Why am I supposed, why am I supposed to tell him this? So I was praying, you know, we, we, I was having a conversation the other day. I was talking about how people make prayer too complicated, and they think you're supposed to do this. You think, 
And I was sharing my prayer the other day at lunch. This was on Friday afternoon. I was eating Chinese food. China Luck, it's a good place. You should go try it out. Anyway, so, you know, I, I don't know what you think about my prayer life or what it looks like or what I say. During, I'm going to share my prayer with you on Friday. I said to God, I said, Lord, you know there are some days I don't feel like praying, but I'm still going to try to anyway. Today happens to be one of those days where I'm not really focused on prayer, but I'm trying to. And I said, God, I'm so messed up. I'm so messed up, I don't even know what to do with myself. I don't know what to think or say or do, and, but I'm going to trust you, and I hope that you do something with my life. I'm going to try my best to, to do whatever you want me to do, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to follow you. Amen. That was my prayer over my meal before I ate on Friday. God, I'm so jacked up, I don't even know what to think, do, or say. But God, I trust you, and I want you to do something, and I pray that you will. Amen. I mean, like, that was it. I don't know if that sounds like a really lofty prayer to you, but it didn't sound like a really lofty prayer to me. Why, why don't we pray more honestly like that with Jesus? Why, why, why we got to do all this other stuff? You really think we're impressing God with all that other stuff? Let's just talk to him, be honest with him. I mean, prayer is really more about us than it is about him. Everybody's like, oh, what? God knows our hearts. He knows what we need. He knows what, what, what we need of way better than we know, right? So our prayers are just saying, God, I trust you with that. God, you know way better than I do, so I trust you. And it encourages me to know that I can trust him, and I pray so that I can just out loud say how much I trust him. And I worship him by praying because I'm saying that I trust him. So really, it's God encouraging me through my prayers, saying that I trust him. I don't want you to get the impression that, that I'm not reverential towards God, because I am. But I'm also honest with God, and I trust him. I really do trust him. I have no idea why I was supposed to share that with you. But it happened on Friday, and God just pushed my heart to share that with you just now. So that's what I did. When they arrived at the threshing floor of Atad near the Jordan River, they held a very great and solemn memorial service with a seven-day period of mourning for Joseph's father. The local residents, the Canaanites, watched them mourning at the threshing floor of Atad. Then they renamed the place, which is near the Jordan, Abel Misram. For they said, this is a place of deep mourning for these Egyptians. The Canaanites that are around there, they said, this is the mourning place, a, great, a place of great mourning for the Egyptians. They were so impressed with the fact that the Egyptians were the ones that were there. There must have been a ton of Egyptians there. You, you got Jacob's little family, but man, a majority of them are Egyptians mourning the loss of Jacob. Isn't that so cool? The fact that God had taken these Egyptians, he turned everything on his head, and now they're the ones mourning, and that, everybody sees that the Egyptians are the one in mourning right now. Oh, but we didn't even got to the good part. This is just the backstory. me telling you how it gets there. So Jacob's sons did as he had commanded them. He carried this body to the land of Canaan, buried him in the uh, cave, in the cave, the field of Machpelah, Near, near Mamre. This cave is the cave that Abraham had bought as a permanent burial site from Ephraim the Hittite. 
After burying Jacob, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who accompanied him to his father's burial. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show anger and pay us back for all, we, for all the wrong we did to him. So what were they thinking? I'm thinking, Dad's dead now. Joseph, if he was going to retaliate, now would be the time to do it. He wouldn't have done it while Dad was alive because he loved Dad. Joseph really cared about Dad, so he wouldn't have taken out punishment on us while Dad was alive. But now that he's dead, now he can do whatever he wants to. See, Joseph's the prime minister of Egypt, and if he wants you dead, then he just says, make them dead, and they're dead, right? So they're worried now, like, Dad's dead. Is he going to punish us now, even though he kept us alive while Dad was alive? Maybe he was just doing that for Dad. Is Joseph now going to enact all that revenge on us, all the things that we had done, the fact that we sold him into slavery, the fact that he endured prison as a result of us? In fact, the fact that all this stuff that he went through in his life for so many years was a result of what we had, we had done in his life, is, he, is now is now it's going to be his time for revenge? I know that a lot of us, man, a lot of us, including myself, sometimes we seek revenge. We do. In our minds and in our hearts, whether we admit it or not, there are times when we would like to get revenge on those who have hurt us. Let me, t- let me tell you in simple terms, that's not God's way. That's not God's way. Revenge is not God's way. Grace is God's way. Right? Just like for us. What do we deserve? We deserve all the punishment. We deserve the torture and the shame and all that stuff. And God says, no, you give it to my son Jesus Christ because I want him to have it and and endure it so that they don't have to. That's the way of Jesus Christ. And and God says through his word that if, if you want to be a Christ follower, you want to be like Jesus, then you have to do as Jesus did, and that is you have to forgive. You see, Jesus endured a lot on our behalf. He endured a lot of shame, a lot of punishment, a lot of physical abuse as a result. But revenge is not God's way. Grace is God's way. So let's look at what Joseph does. His brothers are worried that he's going to enact revenge on them. So they went to Joseph, sent this message to Joseph. For your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of God, your father, beg you to forgive our sin. Sin. They're talking about sin. Wrongdoing. Not just against against Joseph, but against God for what they had done. We're begging you to forgive us. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves. They think Joseph is broken over the fact that he's about to have to enact his revenge against them. They think that Joseph is upset and weeping because he's about to take his revenge out on, and they're still his brothers, and, and, and he still loves them, but he's going to have to take out his revenge. Now is their time for their punishment. So they come back to, look, we're your slaves, man. They throw themselves down in front of you. We're your slaves. We'll do whatever you say. But the next verse says, but Joseph replied, But Joseph replied, but 
What, what does that mean in the Bible? It just means hang on just a second. Stop where you're at. Everything that you thought before is not what you're supposed to think now. Everything that you thought was going to happen, that's not what happens. I want you to hear these words, and I want them to sink into your heart because I want you to think, them, think of them not just as Joseph's words to his brother, but as God's word to you, as Jesus' words to you personally, as, as the Son of God. Listen to these words. But Joseph replied, but Jesus replied, don't be afraid of me. I am, am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save your lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. He reassured them by speaking kindly to them. What was going on? The same thing that happens to the process of salvation for us. God, we deserve your punishment. We deserve your wrath. We deserve the shame. We deserve the fact that, 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 that we have done all these things to break your heart. And you deserve to, to carry out all of that on me. And we come to the cross that way. We come to Jesus that way. God, we deserve it all. So here I am. Just take it out on me. And Jesus replies, no, 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 no. You deserve the wrath of my Father. But you see, the Father intended it all for good. He intended it all for good through me. His providential will was accomplished through me. I endured a lot, and I suffered a lot as a result of what you had done but I'm going to take care of you. And I'm going to take care of your children. I'm going to take care of your family. That's the message of Jesus, isn't it? Isn't that what Jesus says to us? Says, you deserve the wrath of God. I get that. Yes, you do. But not on my watch. Not on my watch. Because of what I did and because you have come to me in the way that you have as repentant men, as changed men, as different men. He says, you're not going to endure the wrath that you deserve. What you're going to get in, in exchange is you're going to get deep, affectionate care and love from me. And I'm going to make sure you're okay. That's the message of Jesus Christ. You wonder what Joseph has been about this whole time from chapter 37 to chapter 50. It is about the message of Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, no, result, no fault of his own, Joseph suffered greatly. Thrown into, thrown into a well, drug out, sold into slavery, got thrown into prison because even though he didn't do anything wrong, got forgotten about for a long period of time, for many years in prison, finally got taken out, and God used him in a place of honor, in a place of reverence. He became the prime minister of Egypt. For the purpose of Joseph? No, for the purpose of saving his people. For the purpose of, of rescuing all the others. And God used that because of Joseph's obedience. He used that. And these men had to prove themselves as changed men before God could really do stuff in their life. So Joseph put through, through some tests. And it turns out they're changed men. 
Jacob's family has undergone an extreme home makeover. And they're changed men. Now, God is going to use these men. And they're going to become a great nation. And they're expecting to get revenge, but instead they get grace. That's the message of Jesus Christ. That's the message of Jesus Christ. When you look at the Old Testament, I hope what you see is, is these pictures of Christ over and over and over again. And we get one last, one last picture. We're not done with chapter 50 yet. We got one little blurb here, and you may say to yourself, why throw this in there? Why throw this in there? Well, the good news is we kind of get the end of the story. The soap opera kind of wraps up here. This is like the last episode, season finale, if you want to call it. Joseph actually dies. So Joseph and his brothers and their families continued to live in Egypt. Joseph lived there to the age of 110. He lived to see three generations of descendants of his son Ephraim. And he lived to see the birth of his children of Manasseh's son uh, Machir, who claimed who he claimed as his own. Soon I will die, Joseph told his brothers, but God will surely come to help you and lead you out of this land out of the land of Egypt. He will bring you back to the land he solemnly promised to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. My granddad. Great granddad. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath. And he said, when God comes to help you and lead you back, you must take my bones with you. So Joseph died at the age of 110. The Egyptians embalmed him and his body was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Whoa. I thought he was supposed to go back to Canaan, where he came from. I thought that's where he was supposed to be buried. I thought that was supposed to be his final resting place. It says he's placed in a coffin in Egypt. What is up with that, Kenny? That's a sorry way to end a story. The last episode ends up he's in a coffin in Egypt. The saga continues. There's next season. There's something else. There's more to it. Can you believe that? That, that? that there's more to God's story than just that. I'm going to let you off the hook a little bit, okay? Go ahead and put Joshua chapter 24, verse 32 up on the screen. I'm going to let you off the hook a little bit. The bones of Joseph, which the Israelites had brought along with them when they left Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the parcel of ground Jacob had bought from his sons, from the sons of Hamar for a hundred pieces of silver. This land was located in the territory allotted to the descendants of Joseph. Okay, so his bones get taken back to Canaan. He finally gets buried there. We record that in Joshua chapter 24, verse 32. What's the big deal, Kenny? What's the big deal? Where did they bury him? A place called Shechem. So what? So what? Why did they bury him in Shechem? Do you know what Shechem is known for? Do you remember when I told you that Simeon and Levi, his older brothers, Reuben was the oldest, and you had Simeon and Levi that were next in line, that they had enacted revenge for what somebody had done to their sister, Dinah? It was the Shechemites. And, and, and Simeon and Levi 
had gone out and, and, and slew them. They, they had promised that they could beat some of their people, but then what happened was they got them in a defenseless position, and then they killed them all. So there were people that enacted revenge, is what Simeon and Levi represented. But here they take Joseph's bones back, and where do they bury him? They bury him in the place where revenge had been enacted. They take Joseph, who is the picture of grace, and cover him up, uh, or put him in the place that covers up the place of revenge. So, so, so grace has covered up revenge. And they said, it's no longer revenge that this place will be known for. It will be grace that this place is known for. And you thought Shechem didn't mean anything. I wish, I wish, I wish that every single person that had revenge on their hearts, that has been hurt, that has been persecuted in some way, would come and, and ask Jesus for forgiveness, that God would give them grace so they can be more like Jesus. And, and the, the person of revenge that they used to be known for will be known as the person of grace now. Because that's, that's what Jesus was. The picture of grace. I wish, I wish, I wish people that don't know Jesus Christ would come and say, I know who I used to be. I know who, how messed up I am. And God, I just need you and I need you alone. I preached a message to these students right before we left camp. And I told them, I said, you know what you have to do? You don't have to know every single word in this book, and you don't even have to know what Shechem is all about. You have to come to Jesus and say, I need Jesus. That's what you have to. That's what salvation is all about. Say, I need Jesus. And I don't just need him one time. I need him my whole life. And you come to him, and you come to him at his throne of grace, and he gives you what you don't deserve, just like Joseph gave his brothers. You're invited to do that today. Father, we love you. God, thank you for showing us grace, and we deserve your wrath. God, you didn't enact revenge against us. You enacted that revenge against Jesus. He was our, our, our placeholder. He, he took our place. So, God, I pray that we would be people that are more like Jesus and less like ourselves. God, if there's somebody here that has a heart, a root of bitterness in them, Lord, I pray that they would let that go. They would sacrifice it here at this altar. They would give it to you and say, God, I can't do it, but you can Lord, if there's somebody here who needs to pray and ask Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior, needs to surrender everything to Him, I pray that they would do that just like Tiffany did. We celebrated in baptism. God, I pray that they would do what Tiffany did and just say, I need Jesus. It's scary. Lord, I get that. I know that it's scary for people. But Lord, I also know how great and glorious it is when we give everything to You. So God, I pray that we'd be a people of obedience and we'd be people that followed You. God, we'd be people that trusted you completely. With no matter what happens, Lord, bad things happen in our lives. We just trust in your providential will that the end result will be for your glory and for our good. Father, thank you so much for how you continue to pour out on us what we don't deserve. Lord, the sustaining grace that holds us up when we can't stand. Father, you're the one. You're the one that deserves all the credit. There's been so many times, Lord, where, where I thought it had something to do with me. I thought it had something to do with my obedience. But really, it just had to do with what you gave me. And the word and the thing that you gave me is grace. I was so undeserving. 
Lord, but not only did you give me grace to forgive me of my sin, to wash me clean, to make me new. Lord, you gave me sustaining grace to keep me going on the days when I can't go on my own. As Joseph said, as Joseph said, what you intended for evil, God used for good. What the, intent, the enemy intended for evil, which was the cross, to destroy our hope, to destroy our Savior, God, you used for good. Just as Joseph rescued everyone, God, you rescued everyone through your son, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, pray right now that we all recognize that the cross that was intended for evil, God used for good. The Roman soldiers that beat him, the people that spat on him, that said that they loved him only days before, the people that, that cursed his name, Father, he did it for them. He did it for all of us. As we have broken your heart at some point in time, God, he did it for all of us. So, Lord, change our hearts. Help us surrender to you fully. Father, you be glorified by our response to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would everyone please stand?